Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Our Father, it's a good thing to be together. It's a good thing to to know your awesomeness, Abba Father. It's a good thing to know that you are unconditionally connected to each one who is yours. It's a good thing to know that we are yours. And now, Father, through that amazing connection you have with us, with our hearts, with our spirits, through your spirit, I pray now that you'd speak to us through your word. Make it it real to us, understandable to us, and therefore something that we can apply in our lives. For we ask this in Jesus. Remember, just a couple of weeks ago, I showed a little film clip from the Pink Panther movie? Some of you remember that. And the key line in that movie was the inspector setting other people straight with this phrase, wax is not wax. And from that, we jumped into James a passage where James was basically saying to us, faith is not faith. You see, there's something we could call good-for-something faith, and then there's also something we could call good-for-nothing faith. Just because somebody says they have faith and somebody else says they have faith, they may not be talking about the same thing. All that is called faith is not necessarily what God considers saving and sanctifying faith. You see, one type of faith, James would say, pleases God and moves us further along the pathway to perfection, and one does not please God and does not aid our progress along that pathway at all. Now, we looked at that a couple weeks ago and realized that James is setting up a a duality there. We have to say, what kind of faith do I possess? Well, today we come to another passage like that. Today's passage could be titled, Wisdom is Not Wisdom. Not everybody who thinks they're smart actually are. (laughs) Are they? Not everybody who believes they have wisdom from God James is going to tell us, might not actually be getting that from God at all. They might be getting it from somewhere else. So wisdom is not necessarily wisdom. Well, let me read the passage to us this morning. And by the way, we have a little glitch there. This is James chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. We're halfway at least through the book. Here we go. James chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Who is or I would say, or claims to be, wise and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, 
by deeds done in the humility that comes from true wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, really, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now we're going to go through that passage this morning. And the reason that we could say it could be called wisdom is not wisdom is because this passage clearly points out that there are two kinds of wisdom operating in this world of ours. And until we as Christians can tell them apart, we will spend a lot of time, or we could spend a lot of our time, just spinning our wheels as we try to move forward in the Christian life. Because the very things that we consider to be wise and good and a good strategy for our life may in fact be the wrong kind of wisdom and not the wisdom that God blesses and that God has given at all. See, James says it's easy to be caught up in what he calls earthly wisdom. We can be caught up in that and not even know it. So let's hope this lesson this morning will turn on the light for us. James was saying in the first century, he's writing these words to the first generation, maybe the second generation of Christians of all time, and he's saying already they need to watch out for what he calls earthly wisdom, not godly wisdom at all. Even though there are those promoting it who would say you can become smart by taking it in and building your life upon it. So first of all this morning, let's us consider what James himself was calling earthly wisdom. Verse 14 or 15, he says such wisdom. Now James in his day didn't put quotes around things like that, but we could. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It is generated right here on earth. Right from this fallen, God-cursed, sin-filled world arises what is called wisdom. And it's from this earth. Now, wisdom in the broadest perspective is really a perspective on life. It's a worldview. The way you apply all that you know about life to life. The way that you apply all that you know about life to your life. So the question is, what do we know about life? And where do we get that information? So James makes four observations regarding earthly wisdom. The wisdom that is generated right from this world in which we live. This fallen world. This basically atheistic world. He says, number one, earthly wisdom is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition. Verse 14. 
Basically, James is saying that that's the motivation behind most of the goings-on in this fallen world. People do things to get ahead. They invest their time and money to advance and benefit themselves. They make most, if not all, of their decisions based upon how it will affect them and their future. They never forget that they are to watch out for and to be most concerned about number one. For if they don't, who will? Now, don't raise your hands. But am I making a lot of sense there? Doesn't that seem to be the way life works? James says that's... uh, He's calling that uh, earthly wisdom. You see, this earthly wisdom, if we go on a little farther, recognizes there is usually only room at the top for a few. Sometimes only one. And so it fosters an incredibly competitive environment where people will do most anything to arrive at that lofty position. Earthly wisdom communicates that meaning in life and satisfaction in life can only be experienced by those who have obtained those few prized positions. And as a result, such wisdom generates bitter and frequently tearful envy in the lives of those who have fallen short. Some of you over time have been so so driven in this ways that if you finish second, it's a disaster. How about if you finish last? And so James says, bitter envy. You begin to envy those who didn't finish last, those who finished on top, those who beat you out, those who got the, the, the rewards of whatever it is. You see, falling short, Failing to achieve the position of honor or privilege becomes the ultimate unforgivable sin, according to earthly wisdom. You're a loser. Even if you were second. You're a loser. It's an unforgivable sin. Fallen men will do most anything to avoid such a blot on their lives. Everyone deserves his, everyone becomes his competitor and his opponent. Does that sound familiar? Earthly wisdom is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition. Secondly, earthly wisdom results in discord and every evil practice. He says that in verse 16. Well, that's certainly no-brainer. That's easy to see how that happens. Earthly wisdom sees the blessings of life as a bone thrown into a pen of hungry dogs. What goes on after that bone hits the ground is not a very pleasant sight. And so it frequently is. In the dog pen at work or at school, or sometimes even in the church. People bite and fight and devour each other in order to just get one good taste of the prize. Earthly wisdom produces an an ugly and mean-spirited life. It's a life without any redeeming or defendable or commendable qualities. 
And the reason it does is because, as James tells us, thirdly, earthly wisdom is unspiritual and actually of the devil. What we read there, it says uh, it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So this wisdom that is called wisdom by those who live in this world and this wisdom that we can occasionally get sucked into embracing is actually demonic. There's nothing godly about it. It first arose in the Garden of Eden when the devil himself promoted a line of thinking that was completely contrary to the will and the ways of God. A man whose mind is filled with earthly wisdom considers the teachings of the Bible to be foolishness. Earthly wisdom distorts God's word and finds reasons to ignore or to disobey it. Genesis 3, 6, we read this. And when Eve, when Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, who told her that? It was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for making one wise. Well, what was she getting wised up to? Not God's ways. She was getting wised up to the fact that there's an alternate way of living. And there's one who, who you might say, has invented that way of living and presents it as an option to every human being. She was the first one. A line of thinking completely contrary to the will and the ways of God. Men now in our world, in their fallen state, embrace earthly wisdom as the only wisdom there is. How many times have we heard people say, well, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there? Well, that's just how it is, right? You know, you've got to watch out for number one. All these little tidbits of truth that aren't true at all, according to God. But men now, they see earthly wisdom as the only wisdom there is, and they seek to master every nuance of it. It must not be embraced by those who embrace Christ. But it is hard to ignore. I don't have to tell you that earthly wisdom has entire, almost entirely captured our educational from preschool to Ph.D. level. There are many, many schools and universities in this country that if you are seeking a degree from them, particularly an advanced degree in science or these days in sociology even, and you said you believe the Bible is God's word and there are principles for living in the Bible that you seek to follow, there are schools that would refuse to give you a degree, but just put you out of their school. They don't want you believing such foolishness to carry their name on your graduation certificate. The world that we live in, it, it hasn't been that way for most of my life, but it sure is that way. You watch TV. 
and they give you hints about how to live life successfully. They give you hints through their stories about what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe and what kind of weirdos believe the stuff that Christians believe. It's gotten to where Linda and I can't even watch TV anymore. You know what we've been doing for the last, through the spring and summer of this year? Ah. <sighs> We've been watching Little House on the Prairie. Just yesterday, we completed the eighth season. And I, have been, I would recommend it to you. You go to Netflix, you go to Prime, you go anywhere, you start with season one, because I watched it when our little girl, Jody was only two years old, and she called it Canary Canary. When it first came out, we watched it. And you realize the values of that show that we now just watched again 40 years ago were absolutely consistent with American values. As a pastor watching that show, I would think lots of times the references to Christianity were pretty weak. Old Reverend Alden on that show was... He reminded me a bit of the pastors in the churches I grew up with that were liberal and this and that. Didn't have much uh, admiration for him. Wow, has that changed. <laughs> Reverend Alden is a square shooter. Every Sunday they talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and use his name. They talk about maintaining your faith in God is the only thing that brings you through tough times. And we just watched one where Charles Engels had a boy who was near death. Horrible accident he had been in. He was in a coma. Every, the doctors around said there is nothing. He's just slowly slipping away. There is nothing that can be done. And Charles sat night after night in the church building, which was also the schoolhouse, which was also the civic center of the town. And he just sat there. Finally, his wife got concerned and asked Reverend Alden to come check on him. Like, what is... And Charles just said, I came sitting and I discovered a presence. He said, I can't explain that. I'm feeling a presence of God and God is telling me not to give up on And the story goes on, where Charles was so berated by the rest of the community, just not giving in, not accepting reality for what it is. He went off all by himself with his son, built a, build a tent out there in, the, in the, quite a ways from home, and just existed and waited on God and waited on God. And he built an altar to God. He read his son, who couldn't really respond, the story in Genesis about Abraham. Now God instructed him to build an altar. And one night, he offered his son to God and asked for God's blessing, but whatever. And, oh, a miracle happened. God sent a, a grizzled old man who was actually a, sent from God, an angelic being who communicated to him. We would say Charles was hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit within him. 
and given the ability to... And this is on a TV show that is for public consumption. Oh, I was blessed. I wound up crying. I wound up with tears in my eyes watching many of them as their simple faith in Jesus Christ. Not just some general God, but their faith in Jesus Christ sustains them again and again and again. And that used to be something our country showed as a popular TV show for families. No earthly wisdom. I'd encourage you, your kids and grandchildren, as funny as it sounds, watch it and let yourself be caught up in the values of a family that believe in God and that are getting through life as a community together. Well, enough of that. But that's certainly not unspiritual. It's certainly not of the devil. It has been an awesome thing. And it's a counterpoint to the society we're living in today. So where was I? Number four, earthly wisdom is not to be bragged about or denied. And here's some terrible news. It can slip into Christians' lives. And Christians can start bragging about how they really turned a deal. They can start bragging about how they bested somebody at something. They can be aggressive in their behavior. They can harbor in their heart all the things that, that God would say should not be there. And they can think they're being smart, they're being wise, they're being aggressive, they're being effective. They may even teach classes on how to do such things to others. And yet James would say, this is, this is not part of the way God wants you to live. This is not heavenly wisdom. This is not the true wisdom of God. You need to come to understand it. Some believers are just ignorant of what God's true wisdom is. They've never even come across it. And then there's other believers who are, they know it, but they also have their own interests at heart, and so they just deny it. They reject it. And to all of them, James gives a personal appeal. Here we are, James 3.13. He says, who is it or claims to be or desires to be wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from true wisdom. Earthly wisdom puffs people up, brings pride. True wisdom brings humility. And so James goes on, now he's going to talk about heavenly wisdom, the other kind of wisdom, the thing that we should be guiding our lives by, the thing that we don't find very commonly out in the world around us anymore. But James says, verse 17, heavenly wisdom is the wisdom that comes from heaven. This is the lifestyle of one who knows God who looks at life through his eyes. It's completely opposite to earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is focused upon me and my selfish ambitions because it has its source in my fallen human nature. Heavenly wisdom, which does not and cannot arise from my fallen human nature, it's not self-focused at all. 
Heavenly wisdom is God-generated. It's people-focused. Heavenly wisdom expresses itself in relationship to others. So Anna James, I believe Anna James, in, in a rush of inspiration, the Holy Spirit just brought him these characteristics of heavenly wisdom. They're all in one verse. James doesn't go ahead and explain a whole lot about them, so I'm not going to explain a whole lot about them. He just says, this is what it's like. And every one of these words carries a, a message to us. But let's just look at them. The eight characteristics of heavenly wisdom. This is what God would have our mind filled with. This is what he would have our heart being guided by. This is what he would have our relationships revealing. Now, to each of these characteristics that James has given, I've attached a phrase that might help us identify the particular action that should be generated by that characteristic. And I've also added a, a Bible verse. So there's a, a number of things here that we're just going to through, go through quickly this afternoon. I'll mail out the full email out, the full text of this message, and it's probably something we should keep handy on, on the guidelines for how we handle ourselves. Number one, James says, heavenly wisdom is pure. It's pure. I say it exposes God's nature to others. Holy, 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 we sang this morning. We have, we have 30 characteristics that we've, we've identified with God the Father. Heavenly wisdom is, is straight from God, and when it's being uh, dis expressed in our life, something of God is being revealed to those around us. Remember, Philip came to Jesus, and he said, show us the Father. Jesus basically said, Philip, that's what I've been doing the whole time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. We today stand in the shadow cast by Jesus himself when we practice heavenly wisdom. We become human beings who reveal the very nature of our Heavenly Father in this fallen world. People recognize that we're marching to the beat of a different drum. We're doing things in a different way. And these next seven characteristics demonstrate what that different way is. So let's just go right through them. Here we go. James says, heavenly wisdom is peace-loving. Ah. So you can't just take your opponent to the cleaners. You can't say, I don't care what he thought he got. I just made a better deal. He ran into a smarter businessman than he is. No, and I don't care if every time he sees me, he mutters under his breath. Earthly wisdom has no problem with that. But heavenly wisdom is peace-loving. It desires harmony with others. Jesus said once in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, bringing people together, finding ways that all can thrive, refusing to participate in the dog-eat-dog -dog battles that others engage in. That's heavenly wisdom. Life goes best when people live cooperatively. That's what heavenly wisdom says. We seek that. We seek that. 
I've rearranged the order of these next six, so don't try to match them up right with your verse in the Bible because I needed them to match up with a verse in the Bible. And so here we go. A verse that exposes the heart and mind of our Heavenly Father, the great wise God himself, and it's John 3.16. So here we go. We'll work through these. Number three, heavenly wisdom is considerate. That means it thinks of others. John 3.16 tells us, for God what? For God so loved the world. When we are in tune with him, we think to ourselves as we look at people, these are my fellow human beings. The love of God is set upon them and directed toward them. Mine should be too. What are their needs? As I consider them, what are their needs? How well do I know them? Heavenly wisdom is considerate. It thinks of others, just like God does. Number four, heavenly wisdom is submissive. Earthly wisdom hates that word. Heavenly wisdom is submissive. It yields to others. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his one and only son. He discovered the need. He submitted to that need in the sense of providing an incredible sacrifice. Their needs, we think, as heavenly wisdom begins to function in us, their needs become my agenda. How radically different is that? We think, I will go to any lengths to make sure that they thrive in the relationship that I have with God. That's what God If it required him sacrificing his own son, he would do it. When we have that kind of a perspective, when heavenly wisdom is working in our lives, we, we find ourselves submitting ourselves to the needs of others. We will go to whatever length it takes to help them thrive in their lives. Number five, heavenly wisdom is impartial. No distinction drawn between others. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever. James has already addressed the subject of favoritism, hasn't he? We talked about that several weeks ago. God is no respecter of persons. Neither should we be. The benefits of our labor should be made available to all who come before us. We turn away from no one who can be helped by us. And even for those who cannot be helped, we do what we can. The Bible says, God, not all men are going to be saved. God will ultimately have to judge some as worthy of his condemnation and judgment. But the Bible says, even until that day comes, he sends his reign on both the just and the We seek to help all those who come our way.
with whatever it is we do. Number six, heavenly wisdom is sincere. We're not trying to trip them up. We're not trying to fool them. We're not trying to manipulate anybody into anything. Sell them a bill of goods. It seeks a trusting response from others. Treat them in such a way that people just find they can They find that what you say is true and that what you say is genuinely designed to help them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him. God is seeking for a response from people in this fall. Seeking for a response as he provides for them. Our appeal to those in need around us is genuine. We're not using them to advance our own purposes. We conduct ourselves in such a way that they find us trusting. We make it easy for them to believe, to trust in what we say. And eventually we'll get to the stuff that really needs to be. Number seven, heavenly wisdom is merciful. It provides relief for others. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Boy, if you can take perishing off the, off the agenda for people, what better thing can you do that they should not perish? Here's the key motivation that we should feel. We know that there is a way that we can help bring about something better for them. We can help them avoid any disaster that might be lying in wait for them. Perishing is the last thing that we want for them. We know that we possess the good news that they need to hear. Sometimes that good news is just a better, more effective way of doing what they're doing. Other times that good news is the whole wonderful story that's told in John 3.16 that God himself desires nothing but the best for them. He desires eternal life for them. He will lift his own judgment from them if they accept what he has done for them. Last one. Heavenly wisdom is fruitful. It pours blessings upon God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's not just getting off the hook. It's being given eternal life, glorious life, knowing God in this world even while we're here and then entering into God's presence forever and ever. This is, of course, where heavenly wisdom would take us. Take us to the place where blessings are being enjoyed by those around us. Now, it's a pretty tough assignment, even though we can just read it through. God does it easily because he's God. We have to rise above our natural nature to begin to function with the wisdom that comes from 
We need to yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, who is the one transforming us and enabling us and helping us. But it is a challenge. That's why James wrote this letter, so that we might move on toward perfection, on toward maturity, on toward completion, because there are so many things that would seek to stop us on that journey and that development. And so James says this, if we would desire to live by the dictates of heavenly wisdom, he says in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom. See, and this is not the prayer you pray before you take the SAT. This is not the prayer you pray before you have a key job interview and you want to look smart and good. This is the prayer we pray before we head out the door, wanting to live in a fallen, broken world with the wisdom that comes from God guiding us and being seen by those around us. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all. See, it's in the context of living a life that pleases God. It's in the context of living a life that, that is obedient to the things of God. That's what true wisdom really is. And when people around us seeing, see us living that way, they are blessed. If we're making their life miserable, we're doing something wrong. Jesus said even our enemies ought to feel our love. Because an enemy, until he takes his last breath, has a chance to be changed. And it might even be our example that God can use to impact him. You see, let me just say this. Keep in mind now that heavenly wisdom is first to be practiced in the church family among our fellow believers. That's who James was writing to. We would expect in a bunch of fellow Christians that we could get this stuff working the easiest, right? Because they all want to live with heavenly wisdom too. We're all hearing the same message right now. We love one another and we acknowledge these people are easy to love. They're our fellow believers. We've been in church together for quite a while. But are we always keeping competitive feelings, judgmental feelings out of it? But it should be easiest to practice heavenly wisdom right here. Secondly, then we need to practice heavenly wisdom in our homes where everybody possibly isn't a believer. And then we need to practice it in our outside-the-home environment where earthly wisdom probably abounds and where the good news of the gospel is needed to be seen and shared and hopefully Because really, that's, that's at the heart of it. I mean, all of these things... We should treat people in such a way that a lot of them just live a better life because they know us. They know, us, they, know they can count on us. They, they know that if you say something, you're going to be true to it. They know that you care about them. 
You know that you might do something for them that they can't do for themselves. You're just, they might say, good people. And we should be. Those who are living with that kind of a, a wisdom from God guiding them are good people in this world, and, and they are few and far between. So when somebody finds you, I feel comfortable in your presence. Now, Peter says we should live that way all the time and wait for somebody who we're living that way in front of to say, what's the deal with you? How did you go through that? How come you're, you're sacrificing in some ways to help me when I know you've got problems yourself? But now once they ask us, then we can say, I'll tell you. I'm living this way because my Heavenly Father is this way. And he sent his son into this world to live this way. And he now has given me his Holy Spirit who is changing me since I put my faith in Jesus so that I can more and more live this way. This is how I want to live. I'm sorry for the moments where I fall short in our relationship. But you know, God, God loves you far more than I could ever. God's there for you and wants to be there for you far more than I've ever been there for you. And let me tell you, you need... God wants you to become... Do you want to know him? Do you want to have the blessings of, of eternal life with God forever? Well, if, if they're seeing in us things that are desirable and they know we're sincere in what we're doing, there may be opportunities to explain the gospel and see the Holy Spirit just stir in their heart because they've been exposed to one like you. And at first it confused them. At first they weren't even sure, but later on they, they in one way or another say she or he's the real deal. And someday I'm going to ask them, what's up? And you'll look for opportunities. That you're living by a different set of rules. This world lives one way, and God's people live. And you're committed to living that way. You can say, can I, I can show you in the Bible just how it works. But you see, their life ought to be blessed whether they ever get saved or not. Because whether they get saved is up to God and them. But whether they're blessed might be just up to you. And where and how that blessing works out, well, but we can be a blessing. We can live out the wisdom, the wise way of living that characterizes God himself and that we find right here in the scriptures. And wouldn't that be awesome? Our final thought says this, the wise man looks at life through God's eyes, through the scripture, and what he sees determines how he lives. That's the way we should all be, right? We look at life through God's eyes, through the scripture, and what we see when we look at life through God's eyes, that determines how we live our life on this fallen. Bottom line is, he, we, 
He handles wisdom well, along with all these other things. James would tell Heavenly Father, as we've seen before, James is not a book really full of a lot of theology and doctrine. It's, it's filled with practical living. And Father Jesus went around on this earth living a life that was unlike any other. His teaching was remarkable. People loved to hear him, and they recognized he taught like nobody else, but they, they also sensed he was like nobody else. Father, there's a greater opportunity for your people in this world, in this United States of America, than there's ever been during my lifetime. We are past the days where people would say all Americans are Christians. We're past the days where any American would feel it important to identify themselves as a Christian. That it would go better in their business, go better in their community. Father, we're past those days. Today, there's only one reason to identify ourselves as a Christian, and that's because we are one. And that maybe we've identified by our lives that we So, Father, as James was writing to a, a group of believers in a pagan world, so this book is more and more directed toward the American church. May we live our lives as those who truly are children of God, functioning under the wise counsel of God, the wisdom that that has come from heaven itself, expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, and then modeled for us and, and commanded of us. And Father, I pray for this congregation, for every one of us. May we grow in wisdom, in the kind of wisdom that lets us see and feel and be motivated by the very things that you see and feel and are motivated by. For we ask it in Jesus. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.